Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This episode 32, we're going to talk about alternatives to traditional air conditioning because it's summer and everybody is sweating. We're also going to talk about what to do with black water, a tale from the road of an unexpected modern ghost town, a review of Coughlin's Toaster, a place to visit in Texas, and a resource recommendation involving the post office. Hello, everyone. Thank you very much for tuning in, such as it is. You know, in the old days, we used to have radios with knobs, and you would have to turn the knob to get the frequency exactly right. And what was actually going on was there was this piece of metal rubbing over a coil of wire, and it was shortening that wire technically, electrically. Anyway, I'm off track a little bit already, and we're just starting. It's one of those days. I have a very large cup of coffee in front of me, and it will be gone by the end of this episode. And, well, I apologize in advance. Okay. I have just gotten back from a whirlwind trip of 14 states. And while that sounds very exciting, I have to disappoint you and let you know that I did that all in about three days. I had to move a car suddenly from Florida to Massachusetts. And then the next day I took a sudden trip up to Vermont to visit my kids because that's where they live. Just to tell you what it's like out there in the road during these COVID times... In the South, in Florida, Georgia, and the Carolinas, I saw very few masks being worn, and I subsequently stayed in the car I was moving and didn't interact with anybody. In fact, the very first thing I did was sneak off to a supermarket and as quickly as possible grab a cooler, one of those styrofoam things, some ice and some food, and I just dealt with that. I had to stay in hotels at night because I didn't have my van, which hurt. And yeah, it's it's still weird out there, folks. It still is. Um, things are still closed. If you go to the big interstate travel centers, a lot of the businesses are still closed. A lot of the restaurants are. And in some cases, the bathrooms are. I saw this a lot, is that the rest area is closed. But they recognize that biology isn't closed. So they've put plastic porta-potties in front of the perfectly functional toilets in the building I'm not exactly sure why that is, other than I think that means they don't have to have employees there and they can just hire a service for the porta parties. I don't know. Anyway, it's weird out there. And I'm going to say, if you want to travel this summer during these times, go away from people. Go visit those state parks that you've never heard of before. Head out to the BLM lands. That's where the fun is this summer because going to museums and things like that and street festivals... That is not for this year. Anyway, I wanted to talk to you guys about air conditioning because it's it's that time of year. Everyone's hot and I'm watching social media and everybody's like, how do I put AC in my van? And then you've got some people saying, oh, you just plug it into the inverter. And then other people come in and say, well, you can't have traditional AC in a van. And then anyway, it's a big, long debate. For this episode, I, I want to focus on air conditioning that is not traditional air conditioning. It is possible yet very difficult to have a normal electric air conditioner in your van. If you're hooking up to shore power, it's relatively simple. Or if you have a generator, a gas-powered or propane or diesel-powered generator, it's also not that hard. But on batteries, it requires in excess of a thousand watts of solar and more than 400 amp hours of batteries. So it's a lot of money. But, you know, van life is often about not spending a lot of money. It's often about 
coming up with clever ways to do things. So is there a clever way to air condition your van without spending tons of money? Before I get into this, I'm going to answer the question and say only sort of. So I don't want you to get excited thinking I have the holy grail of $100 air conditioning for your van because I don't. But I have done a lot of research on different ways people cool their vans and some people are happy with the results from these things. So I just wanted to go through them as a list basically. Uh, One thing that people do, which is kind of obvious, is they just don't turn their van off. They run it all night long and have the air conditioning set on full blast and they cool off their van that way. And I saw a few people who were doing this primarily because they work at night and they sleep in the van during the day and, well, it was just obvious. Now, it works, quote unquote works, but it puts a lot of wear and tear on your engine. You have to understand how a car's air conditioner works. You have a gas that is heated, and as that gas is heated, it absorbs energy, which is heat, from the air, and thus makes it colder. And there's a fan that blows over these cold coils, and that's the cold air you feel in your van. But it has to get rid of that heat again in order to make it work more than one cycle. And there's this big, huge radiator in the front of your car or van that wind has to go through in order to cool it. And there's a fan on there. And, but the point of this is, is that your air conditioning is designed to work at speed. It's designed for your van to be moving. So air flows over that. And if there isn't any movement, that fan has to work hard. Everything in your engine has to work harder to cut it short. It puts a lot of wear and tear on your engine. If you are going to do this, know that you are wearing out your engine prematurely and that you should change your oil a lot more often because keeping track of miles for oil changes doesn't work if you're idling a lot because you're not doing any miles. If you have a diesel engine, this is more feasible. You'll see the big rigs will do this all the time. They have clean idle certified trucks and it's because diesels are functionally different than gasoline engines and they can idle for a long time without any harm. If you have a sprinter van with a diesel engine, I am not sure that's true, but it might be. And again, I'm going to bring this up. If you have a Prius or another hybrid vehicle, well, then it is okay because you're not going to be running your engine all night long. You're going to be running the AC off the big battery in that thing, and the engine's just going to start to recharge the battery. So Prius camping, still something to consider if you like really small spaces. All right, all that aside, the cheapest thing you're going to see people talk about are these little tiny boxes that you can get at Walmart or Target or as seen on TV. And it's a little desktop air conditioner and it'll cool off a whole room and it adds humidity. And, 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 and wait, it adds humidity. Yeah. That's actually not something you want. It's funny. They advertise it that way because it's true. All these things are is a sponge that soaks up water and has a fan blowing over it. And yes, as that water evaporates from that sponge, it will produce cooler air. Does it really work? Eh, If you hold it up to your face, it will feel cool, but you're not really going to be able to cool down a van. It, It just isn't possible. And you are going to be filling that van with humidity, which for me is a bigger problem than the heat. I would much rather be in 100 degrees with low humidity than 80 degrees with high humidity. So if you thought that $30 little box is too good to be true, bing, you are right. It is. But what about, you know, bigger swamp coolers? Now, if you're from the East, you may not even know what a swamp cooler is. You're used to traditional compressor-based air conditioners. But out West, where it's really dry, they can use this thing called a swamp cooler, 
which is just as I described. It's basically a sponge, or in the case of the big units, usually a mat of straw or excelsior, you know, wood, that has water sprayed on it and air flows through it. And you can actually cool your entire house with this box, and it's a lot less expensive to run electric-wise than a compressor air conditioner. It just doesn't use as much. <laughs> but they call them swamp coolers for a reason. That water that's in there that's always evaporating and getting hot, and yeah, it tends to smell swampy. You actually have to treat them. They do make these for vans. You can get a rooftop swamp cooler unit, and they don't use that much power. It's just a water pump and a fan. But electricity isn't the only scarce resource in your van. You also have to worry about water. And where are you going to get this water that you are evaporating in large quantities? Uh, I don't know. I... I I had a swamp cooler in a home I had in Utah that was, it was a window unit designed to cool just one room, and I went through about two liters in eight hours, which isn't terrible, so it, maybe that is something you could do. But the units are expensive, unfortunately. The ones designed for vans can cost $1,000 or more, so. Hmm. You may have also seen this thing called the Zero Breeze, and it looks like it looks like a little tiny vacuum cleaner, but it's actually a small compressor-based air conditioner designed for tents or golf carts or things like that. And it looks like, holy cow, this is the ultimate solution. Unfortunately, I've never seen a product get worse reviews than this thing. And they've come out with a new version, the Mark II, which gets better reviews, but it's nearly $1,000. The customer service is, by all reports, terrible. And it still draws a lot of power. Also, the new one you need a vent for. So it's it's actually this bigger, bulkier thing. It's, it's less of the promise than the original, except that it does seem to work a little bit better. If you want to experiment, I recommend you go and watch the videos and look at the reviews. But be very cautious, because there are a lot of fake positive reviews for this thing. Best bet is to find someone who has one and talk to them personally. Another thing you'll find if you look out there in the world of alternate AC are coolers turned into air conditioners. So an ice chest, um, an igloo cooler, that type of thing. The idea is you fill it with ice, cut a hole in the top, cut another hole in the top, put a fan in one hole, and cold air comes out of the other hole. Interestingly, from a physics standpoint, this works for two different reasons. The basic way that it works is that you're blowing air on something cold, and that makes the air colder as the heat that is in the air gets transferred to the ice, which is melting, even sucking more energy out of it, and thus colder air comes out. That's a basic principle of how this thing works. But there's another one, and that's the evaporative cooling principle. Some of that Water is also going to be evaporated by the fan blowing over it, so you get two cooling principles at once. So that sounds pretty cool. And heck, you can buy ice every day, and okay, maybe you're going to spend five bucks a day on ice, but isn't that worth it to have air conditioning in your van? Well, <laughs> It's a little bit more complicated than that. Now, you can buy commercially made ones of these for a few hundred bucks, but you can make your own pretty easily. There are 800 YouTube videos on this, and it's funny because there several of them are like, this is my fifth build of this thing. It's this tinkerer project that everyone's trying to improve because ultimately you think it should work better than it actually does. Now, some of these, you will get air that's 33 degrees coming out of that vent, which is great. I mean, that's amazing air conditioning. And it will make your van feel cooler for a short amount of time. But this is where physics gets in the way of this being a very good solution. Your automotive AC, the air conditioner that's in your van, is 
yeah, it depends on the van, of course, but it, it's about 60,000 BTUs. That's a British thermal unit. I'm not going to go into the definition of that, but it just just take that as a number. 60,000 BTUs. A tiny window unit air conditioning in your home, you know, this is the standard one you just stick in your window. They're about 5,000 BTUs. If you're wondering why your air conditioner in your car is so much stronger than your one at home, it's because the conditions are much more difficult in the car. It has to deal with different inputs and outputs and it's going at different speeds and you're in a metal box baking in the sun there's a lot more heat buildup in a car than there is in your house so we've got 60,000 BTUs for your car AC we have 5,000 BTUs for your window unit what is the comparable BTUs for a cooler filled with ice it takes 144 BTUs to melt a pound of ice in an hour these are done by the hour so for every pound of ice, you're going to get 144 BTUs under perfect conditions, which you won't have. You can do your math there. If you put five pounds of ice in one of these coolers and it's, it's ideal, you're going to get 700 BTUs of cooling at best. And that ain't much, folks. Uh, ultimately... You're going to get some nice cool air, but for a very short amount of time, and it's actually not going to cool off the entire van. And again, you're going to be adding humidity to your van, which isn't a great thing. There are some ways to do this without adding humidity, but it gets more complicated. Ultimately, though, you're, you're fighting physics. If you've heard of a one-ton AC unit, um, that's a very, fairly small air conditioner for a home. That one ton means that in 24 hours, that thing can produce one ton of ice. That's how it works. In order to cool your van, you would need something approaching one ton. And that's literally, you would have to have a ton of ice in your van that you were melting. <laughs> so eh, I think these things are fun to play with and they might be useful in situations where you needed just an hour of cooling or something like that. But ultimately, I don't see them as being the perfect solution for cooling your van all night. But I'm still intrigued. I still think it would be fun to play with. And maybe one day I'll build one of these things. But uh, not until I get a bigger van. My NV200, I simply don't have space for a cooler. So I'm sorry if that was disappointing. I There just isn't a great solution to this. Except for the time-honored, absolutely guaranteed-to-work solution of move your van somewhere colder. Tour the south in the winter. Tour the north in the summer. Tech Talk. All right, let's talk about everyone's favorite topic, Blackwater. Now, for a lot of new folks starting out in van life, this is a big concern. Like, uh, what do I do with Blackwater? Well, the easy answer is you find a dump station and you deal with it there. And if you have, say, a cassette toilet like I have, you take the cassette out and you dump it down the hole in the ground and then you rinse everything off and you're done. But those things aren't necessarily easy to find, especially in the Northeast, where RVing isn't as big a thing as it is in the Southwest, say. So what other options do you have for getting rid of this black water? Well, um, I have found a few, and I can tell you my favorite ways of emptying this thing. The, the way they're advertised is they make it sound like, oh, you just go to any rest area, and you go into the bathroom, and you put it over the toilet and empty it out, and you're done. Eh, I've never done that. Uh, first off, when you do this, it's... Um, it can be quite the experience for anybody in the near vicinity. It's not necessarily a great experience because you are releasing a lot of odor when you do this. Not always, but 
you can. And so being in an enclosed room and carrying in this thing that everyone knows what you're doing, eh, it's not a great experience. So what I try to do is look for vault toilets. Those are kind of primitive toilets that are basically a hole in the ground with a toilet over them. Or even outhouses, which I've used a couple times. And this is my basic thing is I, I bring some water with me and this, this bucket thing, and I will dump it into the vault toilet and fill it up with the water I brought. And that can even be gray water. It doesn't actually have to be clean water. Rinse it, shake it up, and then dump it out again. And then put it back in the van after I've added a little bit of chemical, depending on which chemicals I'm using. That's a whole other episode. That's the best thing I have found for getting rid of the black water. Um, I like that better than just about any other method. Honestly, I like that better than dump stations. Although dump stations are probably more proper if you <laughs> have that option. And also when, when I get home, sometimes I, you know, I, I have a home, I'm not a full timer. I, I do have a brick and mortar home. I'll just empty it in the downstairs toilet at home. And that works well too. One thing that comes up is like, why don't, uh, you know, if I'm, if I'm camping out in the woods, I just dig a hole and do my business and cover it up. Why don't I do that with the black water from my toilet? Well, the, the reason you shouldn't is it's volume. Um, one person dealing with nature on one day is not a big deal. The, the environment can deal with that. But when you're dumping out five gallons of black water, that's a lot. I mean, that's a lot. So the digging the hole method is, is not only probably illegal just about everywhere, it isn't really a good idea. So I, I don't recommend you do that. Just remember, you can always go into any restroom and do this. It's completely legal. You're not overwhelming the septic system or the sewage system or anything like that. It's fine. But hey, for me, I really like finding the vault toilets. I think that's the best solution. Tales from the Road Last summer when I was driving out west, I was in Nevada on Route 6, which, boy, is it a lonely road out there. There's not much there. And I was in between Tonopah and Eli, where there really isn't much. But there is something. There's this um, town called Current, Nevada. Current, uh, spelled like the fruit, not the electrical measurement. And um, it's a ghost town, sort of. It's, and I say sort of because, you know, when you, call it, you say ghost town, people automatically think Scooby-Doo and the swinging doors and the saloon and all that. But this wasn't that. This was a modern ghost town that looked like it had been abandoned in the 80s. And people still live there. That's beside the point. This place is perfectly located between Tonopah and Ely, being, you know, nearly 100 miles from each, that it should be a gas station. And it was. But something happened. And I've never been able to find out what. I can't find any records on this. And when I say abandoned, it's like people left at the end of the day and never came back. What's there is a gas station, a restaurant, and a hotel, or a motel, really. And they were just left there. Now, it's been many years and vandals have gotten in there and the roof is leaking and stuff. But if you go up and peer through the windows, which I did, you'll see the furniture still there. There are video games still in there, believe it or not. I mean, I don't know that they still work. I would doubt it. And it's, if you, <laughs> there's a video game out called Last of Us Part 2 that just came out that I'm playing. And that's exactly a scene from that. There's all these plants growing inside the restaurant because the window broke and the vines crawled through the window and have started living in the carpet. And there's all these big wagon wheels and there is this big bar. And according to some of the stuff I found on the internet, 
there were liquor bottles in the bar when people first started exploring this. The motel has beds in it, but again, none of this is nice, but it's really just weird that this perfectly situated gas station and complex, just one day people stopped using. It's named after a mountain nearby, Current Mountain, and there are still people living there. There are actually ranches there. I mean, it turns out if you are in this part of Nevada and you have access to water, you can grow a lot of things, and people do. This land is not actually even inexpensive. The farms and ranches out here that go for sale are very pricey. But I don't know where they get gas. They're not getting gas here. So this was not a place that I made as a destination. I was just driving through... Nevada. And there are times when you can find these modern day ghost towns that people have simply walked away from. Obviously there was value in this stuff, right? I mean, the video games were worth money. Somebody could have loaded them in a pickup truck and sold them, but whatever the circumstances were caused the folks here to just literally abandon it all. And I'd really like to know the story. It's just one of these places that I'm driving around that I was really thrilled to find. And it kind of haunts me of all the places I think about on that trip. And there were some amazing places I saw. Current Nevada sticks out to me as, as a story that needs to be told. Somebody built this place. Somebody ran it. Customers came. And then one day it all ended. And it's like nobody cared or even noticed. So if you're interested in checking it out, it's on Route 6 between Tonopah and Ely, Nevada. You literally can't miss it because it's at the junction of Route 379 and 6 and you have to kind of drive around it. But uh, yeah, I'll have a picture in the show notes and, uh, and maybe a link to some other pictures. But boy, if anyone knows anything, please let me know. Okay, quick product review. I like toast, okay? I admit it, I like toast. I would like to have toast in my van. I do not have an electric toaster, and I know people get inverters and electric toasters and a whole bunch of batteries, and I just think that's too much for my little van. I want to use my little butane burner to make toast. My wife came up with the idea of using hot dog forks, very long forks, to make toast, and that actually works. That totally works. But I wanted something that took up a little less space and was a little bit less hands-on. And so I got a Coughlin's toaster. It looks like a small metal plate with these wires that stick up and hold your toast. And it's designed to be put directly on the burner and then it will toast, quote unquote, four pieces of bread at once. They've been around forever and most of the reviews of these things are awful. And I agree, actually, for making toast, like just putting bread on there, they're not great. But... They do work, and I'll tell you some tips for this thing. First is you want to make sure they get really hot. You don't want flames to toast your toast. You want the hot metal. You want the thing to start glowing cherry red. That's how you toast your bread. And second, don't toast bread. Seriously, take a moment, step back, and realize that sliced bread is not the perfect thing for van life. There are better options. And two of those options from the toast universe are bagels and English muffins. And this thing works great for them because you only have to toast one side. You don't have to flip it. You don't have to figure it out. Now, the toast that is made with this thing isn't quite the same. It's a little drier. But, hey, for like six bucks, you can get toast in your van and not have to worry about using crazy amounts of electricity. So, 
I think the thing works. It's not perfect, it's not something I would use at home if I have an electric toaster, but it will make toast, or at least it will make nice bagels, and that is all I really need. So that's Coughlin's toaster. I'll have a link in the show notes. And, you know, hey, it's six bucks. How, how wrong can you go? Ah, place to visit. Really quick place to visit. If you're ever near Dallas-Fort Worth and you're looking for an interesting day trip, go to Aurora, Texas. And they have a cemetery there that has an alien grave in it. Apparently, when this town was being created in the late 1800s, there was a story about an alien that crashed into a mill in this town. And after all this hullabaloo, they buried the alien in the cemetery, which is a pretty big cemetery for such a small place. And you can go visit the grave. Now, it's not a marked grave. It's under a big rock. And the rock is covered with all kinds of memorabilia and stuff that people leave behind. It's, you know... It started with people saw Schindler's List and saw people leaving rocks on tombstones, and now people leave beads and pens and pins and any kind of bauble they can on graves. And that's what this alien's grave is like. Now, before you think I maybe have left reality a little bit here, I assure you that I do not believe there is an extraterrestrial buried under that rock. But it's an interesting phenomenon nonetheless. And the cemetery itself is an interesting place to visit. I went around Memorial Day last year, and there were, you know, American flags all over the place, which is pretty standard. But there were also Confederate flags all over the place. And it was the Stainless Banner is the name of the specific Confederate flag that was flying, because a lot of the people in the cemetery that were buried were Confederate veterans. It's a very interesting thing to be in a cemetery where people were born in the same land and were buried side by side, but fought against each other. I don't know. I don't have a whole lot of commentary to add to that, but it was an interesting experience. Anyway, if you're in Dallas-Fort Worth, it's an easy day trip. It's called Aurora, Texas, and just look for the cemetery. Um, it's It's on Google Maps. It's very easy to find. Resource recommendation. I just found out about this cool thing called informed delivery from the United States Postal Service. Sorry, folks, this one is very U.S.-centric. Not like the whole show isn't. I apologize for that. Basically, what the post office will do is they'll scan your mail. They're not going to open your mail. They just scan the outside, and they'll send you pictures of it before you get it. And while this may have limited use if you're actually home and you're going to get the mail the same day, if you're on the road and you have a home that mail is being sent to, or some, or maybe you're sending mail to someone else who's watching your mail for you while you're traveling, getting pictures of it is great because you can scan through and say, oh, there's my voter registration card that came in the mail. That's important. And you can tell the person taking care of your mail to set that aside or forward it to you or whatever. It's free. It's simple. You get an email every day with pictures of your mail. It doesn't do junk mail. It just does first-class mail that's addressed to you. And hey, for free, I think it's a great service. I'll have a link in the show notes, or you can just Google USPS Informed Delivery. Okay, Q&A. Somebody posted that they were concerned that they were entering van life but they didn't know if they needed to have solar or inverters and all that stuff. And it was a kind of an interesting post because it seems like a lot of new folks assume they need all this stuff that we're talking about. But the truth is, you don't need anything. 
I mean, van life is specifically about you. It is a time for you to be selfish in how you design your van and make it meet your needs. You don't have to do anything. There's no such thing as real van life. There's no such thing as a real van. If you don't have air conditioning, that just means you don't have air conditioning. Don't have solar? Fine. Solar isn't always needed for what you want to do. If you just want to throw a mattress down in the back of a cargo van and call that your camper van, more power to you. You have done everything that's necessary. So I just like to dispel this myth that there's this thing that is a camper van or a van for van life or any of that. It's not true. It's your van or car or trailer or whatever your whatever vehicle you have that you're making into your home that matters. And the only rules there are, are the ones you set for yourself. That said, if you have questions, let me know. I like answering questions. If you think I should cover something on the show, even if I've covered it in the past, I mean, we're at episode 31 now, and it's time for me to start going back and revisiting some things I talked about earlier. Drop me a line at jeff at builttogo.com. It's two T's, not three, not one, two T's in built to go. And any type of question you would like to ask about van life, I will offer my perspective. And again, folks, I am not an expert at this. I'm just a guy who built a camper van. I am happy, happy to be disagreed with. In fact, if you can show me that I'm wrong, you're doing me a favor. So please do. Thanks for listening to this episode 32. I absolutely appreciate it. And I love getting email from you guys. I got an email from Finland last week, brought back some great memories of when I toured Helsinki a few years ago. So thank you for that. Music, as always, by Simon Wag, a.k.a. Sir Mouge, who I just saw this weekend. And we are going to do that music episode that won't be a regular episode. And it's going to happen, I promise. I'm just slow. Until next time, remember what Mark Twain said. Travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness, and many of our people need it sorely on these accounts.